When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. everybody welcome back to friday's edition of mirth boston sports talk happy friday hopefully you had a great fantastic week i know the past couple days were very very cold waking up it was like 35 6 7 whatever degrees outside it was damn it felt like winter past couple days but today it's beautiful outside a little bit of a wind chill but overall it is very nice and sunny outside hopefully you have had a great week and you're going to have a phenomenal weekend ahead we have a lot of stuff to get into, but first, I do need to get the pleasantries out of the way, as always. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 45 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Crazy journey. Kind of want to do something a little um, funky and a little special for 50 as we get closer and closer to that. Of course, you guys know how grateful I am, so thank you, everybody, for tuning in, downloading, listening, and enjoying, as always, as I greatly appreciate it, and we are oh so close to 2,000 downloads. I know I haven't really talked about it ever since we had that 1,000 download listen special uh, about a month ago or so, but we are almost at 2,000, and I'm super happy and grateful for that, as always, so thank you, yes you, for downloading, listening, and enjoying, as you always do. I greatly appreciate it, and if you're new to the podcast thank you so much for finding this show and hopefully you have been enjoying the content or if this is your first episode definitely please enjoy this episode and welcome to have you aboard for those who may not know i am your host james murphy and you can find me on social media at mers underscore boston st where the st stands for sports talk and on youtube as well at mers boston sports talk where I would appreciate you smashing that like button if you enjoyed this episode, subscribing if you're new or haven't considered subscribing just yet, and comment down below any thoughts, opinions, topics you want me to discuss down in the comment section below. I'd love to hear your opinion, your take, or just whatever you gotta say. So with the pleasantries out of the way, we do have a massive, massive announcement for Murph's Boston Sports Talk, and that is that I am hosting a live 
NFL Draft Special on YouTube. Yes, I will be live streaming the NFL Draft on YouTube next Thursday, April 29th. All right, I'm super excited for this. So what is it? Well, it is what it sounds like. It's the NFL Draft. I will be live streaming the first round up until the Patriots pick whenever it may come, which is now currently the 15th overall pick in the draft, which is expected to be taken around 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. So from 8 o'clock when the draft kicks off all the way up until the Patriots pick at 15 or if they happen to move in the draft, whether it's move up, move down, doesn't matter. I will continue my coverage all the way through the New England Patriots pick in the first round whenever it comes. If they trade out of the first round, which I don't think they will, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really think that far. But nonetheless, it's going to be a super fun time. And I'm really excited to to chat with you guys and to really kind of establish more of a connection with the audience, the listeners, and the subscribers as well. Additionally, additionally, there will be an Amazon gift card giveaway. So very similar to what I did with the 1000 downloader special about a month ago, I will be doing another Amazon gift card giveaway on the live stream towards the end of the live stream. And all you have to do is two things to enter a free entry, literally free. And you can get an Amazon gift card, which literally all of us could use and all of us probably do use Amazon. So the first thing you need to do to enter yourself is you need to be subscribed to the channel. Simple, totally easy, right? Number two, all you have to do is comment about something regarding the 2021 NFL draft during the live stream. So you could literally just tune in right when the draft starts and be like, go Patriots, I hope they take whoever. And as long as you're subscribed, you're entered. You could wait to the end when the Patriots take their pick, whoever it may be, like, oh yeah, I'm so looking forward to this guy being in a Patriots uniform. As long as you subscribe, you're entered. It's super simple like that. Can't get any easier, right? And like I said, you could win a free Amazon gift card. I'm very excited to give back to the fans, the audience, and of course, the listeners as well. I'm very excited and I don't know what to expect from this draft. Every draft is different. There could be a boatload of trades. There could be no trades at all. Players could get taken way sooner than we thought. Players could fall in the draft that we didn't think would fall. Literally anything can happen in the 2021 NFL draft. And that what makes me so excited. And the Patriots are in an interesting spot that they're usually never in. So it has a little bit more excitement in that regard. So I'm definitely looking forward to spending the draft with you and having a ball. So with the NFL draft live stream happening on Thursday, April 29th. There is a little bit of change in the release schedule for the show, Murph's Boston Sports Talk, uh, come next week. And that updates are as followed. Episode 46 will be airing on Monday, as usual, with episode 47 will also air, as usual, on Wednesday. Regularly planned, nothing changes in that regard there for episode 46 and 47 being released on Monday and Wednesday, respectively. Due to the draft starting on Thursday and going until Saturday evening when the last pick in the seventh round is taken, there will be no Friday episode. Uh, episode 48 will be pushed back until next Monday, so the entire draft for the Patriots and other highlighted picks can be discussed all in one episode rather than talking about just the first round and what to expect in the second round come Friday for the Patriots. I'd rather just cover 
everything revolving around the Patriots draft next Monday's episode being 48. So just a quick reminder, episode 46 will air on Monday. Episode 47 will air on Wednesday, regularly planned with episode 48 airing next Monday on May 3rd. So there will be no Friday episode on April 30th next week. Hopefully there is not too much inconvenience there. I just feel like that is the the best plan of attack in regards to the Patriots and the draft as a whole. Hopefully Thursday's live stream can kind of make up for that. So you're not losing a day of content. There will still be three releases in a given week like I usually like to do. And hopefully, like I said, there will be no inconvenience to those that are listening. Sorry if there is. But like I said, I really think this is the best plan of attack for the show, the podcast, and the draft as a whole. But with speaking about the Patriots and in regards to the draft, there are rumors starting to heat up that the Patriots, yes, the New England Patriots, could trade up to the end of the top 10 picks in the first round. So maybe like a 7, 8, 9, 10, around that area. Uh, Rumors that they could trade up into the bottom of the top 10 um there's reports that detroit at seven or dallas at 10 uh could move down in a trade with the patriots you know where the patriots are at 15 those two teams might think that dropping back and getting a few more assets might be a good uh good play for them if that is the case if the patriots do move up could we still see one of those five quarterbacks available there I think so. I think there will be two quarterbacks available there. I think we'll see Trey Lance, and we'll also see Mac Jones come at least seven. Now, I don't know if the Patriots will take them. I'm not exactly sure if I want them to take him. I know I've been a big fan and proponent of the Patriots needing to go out and get a quarterback, and yes, I still feel that way. But if you're moving up to trade a quarterback, what assets are you giving and does that also foil your plans to get Micah Parsons, who is projected to go at 15 to the New England Patriots? Anyways, we do have to talk about this rumor, and I explicitly want to talk about the Lions and the Cowboys. So the Lions hold the seventh overall pick in the draft. We could see a trade between the Lions and the Patriots where the Lions will give up seven and New England will give up 15, maybe their second round pick, 46 overall, and a pick next year. I could get on board with that depending on what the pick next year is. Dallas, I have no idea what that package would look like. Obviously, it would be a swap for 10 and 15. Could there be a third round pick in the mix? Probably. What about next year's draft? We probably would see something like that as well moved. Similar packages, but like I said, being four picks off, the package is going to be a a little bit more expensive if you want that Detroit seventh pick. But anyways, let me talk about the quarterbacks real quick because there is a lot of momentum kind of going in the direction that Trey Lance and Mac Jones could drop to the end of the top 10, which is totally feasible and totally possible because, in my opinion, I think the first three picks in the draft will be quarterbacks and then offensive players to follow. I really don't see a defensive player going until 10 or 11 where we could see a cornerback go, whether it's... Uh, J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertain, Caleb Farley, one of those guys. But meanwhile, do the Patriots need a cornerback? And should they trade up to get one? No. If there's one at 15, should they take one? And if, say, Micah Parsons isn't there, should the Patriots take a cornerback at 15? Well, I'm going to kind of talk more about the cornerback a little bit later. 
but I keep digressing and diverting from the quarterback discussion. Trey Lance, he has a lot of potential, but he needs some grooming, so maybe a year or two behind a veteran would be ideal for him. You have Cam Newton for this year, so learning behind Cam Newton for a year is not the end of the world. Mac Jones, he uh, many thought that the 49ers were going to originally take him after the 49ers traded up to number three, trading with the uh, Miami Dolphins. However, Mac Jones could slide in this draft, even as late as 19 to the Washington football team, which I personally expect him to drop to. But we don't know. We honestly don't know. And there's a lot of momentum pushing for the 49ers to take Justin Fields. Now, if that is the case, we could see Jimmy Garoppolo be on the move from San Francisco somewhere else. Who knows? But if one of those quarterbacks, if one of those quarterbacks from the top five quarterbacks, right, you know, uh, Mac Jones, uh, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Zach Wilson, (laughs) but those top five quarterbacks, right, if one of those drops between seven and ten, do you want the Patriots to make that trade to go get a quarterback? So say Trey Lance and Mac Jones are both on the board at 7. Do you want the Patriots to move up to get them? Even if one of them is at 10, say whichever one you like better, whether it's Lance or Jones, do you want the Patriots to make a trade with the Cowboys to get 10 to go get one? Me personally, I wouldn't mind it, but that kind of you know, kind of foils the potential plan that the Patriots may have in place that I kind of think is what they're leaning towards. Now, would we rather them take someone, would they, would we rather them keep 15 and take someone else at 15? So say like a Micah Parsons or a cornerback that I alluded to. And then a quarterback such as Kellen Mond from Texas A&M or Davis Mills out of Stanford come the second round. I've talked about Kellen Mond before on this podcast, but for those that don't know, Davis Mills, he has 11 career starts at Stanford and is an extremely accurate quarterback that has late first-round potential, but ideally we'll probably see him go in the second, maybe even early third round. Personally, I would see him go in the second round because a lot of those teams at the end of the first round don't need quarterbacks. You got the Buccaneers, you got the Chiefs, you got the Steelers who could go out and get one. I'm not going to cross them off. But they got Big Ben, they got Mason Rudolph, so are they really going to kind of indulge themselves in a quarterback? We don't really know. The Packers drafted Jordan Love last year, who could potentially be on the move. I also touched upon that last year as well. Uh, Last year, last episode as well, excuse me. Um, The uh, Seattle Seahawks, could they need a new quarterback? Could they be moving on from Russell Wilson, which we've heard a lot about early in the offseason, but we don't see it happening anymore. The Minnesota Vikings, they brought back Kirk Cousins. Would they still be interested in a quarterback? I just don't see a lot of those teams be interested in a quarterback come the mid to late first round, except maybe the Washington football team who, you know, they moved on from Alex Smith. They obviously moved on from Dwayne Haskins, and they went out and signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. But is Fitzpatrick the future quarterback there? Probably not. So if Mac Jones falls to them at 19 then that's not a bad pickup for them right there either you got a quarterback that'll be good for this year and you'll be able to have your future quarterback in place both quarterbacks could be gone come the Patriots pick at 46 in the um, second round both Mond and Davis Mills if we end up taking one in the second round but like I mentioned there is some momentum the Patriots trading up to the end of the top 10 to grab a quarterback such as Lance or Jones which what I mentioned was that they'll likely be the last two quarterbacks from those top five quarterbacks that I mentioned 
on the board out of the group of five, Lawrence Fields, Wilson, then Jones, and Lance. If the Patriots don't move up from 15, like I alluded to earlier, I still believe they will jump on Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State, as he is regarded as the best defensive player in the draft and is the perfect fit on this team's defense. I still think that they could use a good, versatile linebacker on that team. Regardless, um, my um, Dante Hightower coming back, Matthew Judon, who is an edge rusher. They had Chase Winowich in the middle a little bit last year, but I still think he's an edge rusher as well. So I just think another good linebacker to play alongside Dante Hightower is what this team really needs. Hightower is getting older. He's 31 now, I think, who has one year left on his deal. You bring in Micah Parsons, then you reevaluate Dante Hightower come next year, uh, next year's offseason, I should say. I wouldn't be shocked if Micah Parsons is snagged by another team before us at 15. But besides the Lions, maybe, no team has a blaring need at linebacker, let alone defense, let alone defense. That should be addressed in the first round. Now, obviously, teams could still use a linebacker, but... Should they invest a first-round pick on Micah Parsons if they have other needs elsewhere, whether it's wide receiver, offensive line, quarterback in some cases? But like I said, besides the Lions, I don't see another team needing a linebacker all too badly, hence why a trade down for the Lions would be very ideal because at 7, do you really want to take Micah Parsons there? You absolutely could, but when you can kind of get a feel for the board and what other teams are going to do, why not try to trade down with the Patriots so let them invest and you can get a couple extra assets so you can still get your guy at 15 but also have other draft capital to go address other needs come the second, third, fourth round or maybe even grab a pick or two come next year to address your needs come next year. But I kind of want to take a step back to something that I mentioned just a little bit ago and that was the Patriots and their need at cornerback. So I've mentioned a plethora of times that J.C. Jackson was a restricted free agent. He could not come back. He ends up signing his second-year tender. But a little bit more about that in a second. Stephon Gilmore, who the Patriots were rumored to be actively looking to trade come last year's deadline before he got injured. Obviously, this year, there's been some rumors that the Patriots might move on from him in the offseason. And then, obviously, we just don't really know what is going to happen come next offseason when his contract expires. So both your starting corners, Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson, may not be on this team next year, hence why the Patriots have a blaring need at cornerback this year. Additionally, Jason McCourty has not re-signed and more than likely will not re-sign with the New England Patriots this offseason, so there is a need at that position. This year, they currently do have Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson, who, like I mentioned, signed his restricted free agent tender last week, and he will become a re- unrestricted free agent next year, and he's going to demand big money because he is one of the best cornerbacks in the league. He had like nine interceptions last year, tied for first or second most in the league, something like that. So do we really think the Patriots will pay him? No. Should they? Absolutely, yes. So let me give you some context. The Patriots are known for not re-signing their own young talent. We saw them trade and let guys go a million times. I'll give you a few examples. We saw the Patriots trade Dion Branch all the way back at the end of 2005 to Seattle when his rookie deal was going to expire. 
Chandler Jones in his last year of his rookie deal. He was traded to Arizona. Same thing with Jamie Collins in his first stint with New England back in the day, like seven, eight years ago. Traded him to Cleveland when it was time to pay him. Malcolm Butler, they let him walk. Trey Flowers, they let him walk when it was time to pay them both. They did, however, re-sign Dante Hightower and Devin McCourty all those years back, but those are the only two that I can currently think of as examples. However, according to history, according to history, which is the brief little example that I just gave you, we're going to lose J.C. Jackson to free agency next spring, and that position needs to be addressed this year. It needs to be addressed this year, so that player, whoever it is, has a full year under his belt before becoming a starter and more than likely the guy that's going to be guarding the opposing team's best wide receivers or receivers in general because Stephon Gilmore's deal is up at the end of this year as well and of course like I mentioned JC Jackson's deal is going to be up so as it stands you are going into 2021 with two of the best cornerbacks in the league generally speaking I know Gilmore had a, a step back season but he is the former defensive player of the year J.C. Jackson is regarded as one of the best young cornerbacks in the league, and he definitely showed that last year. Both of them will be up at the end of this year, and both of them may not be back come 2022. And like I said, the Patriots are known for not re-signing their young, homegrown talent, nor are the Patriots known for um, bringing back old veterans, who at that point, Stephon Gilmore will kind of be trending towards as he is now over the age of 30. Going back to J.C. Jackson, this is something that's kind of infuriated me. Something that I found out just yesterday. There are reports that J.C. Jackson's camp, so his agent, his you know closest relatives, himself even, called every team, every other of the 31 teams in the NFL this offseason, curious and looking to see if they would offer him more money than the Patriots were offering with their second round tender at $3.5 million. Every team, the Jets, Bills, Giants, Chiefs, Cowboys, Seahawks, Packers, you name it, they called them up, hey, would you like to sign our guy, J.C. Jackson, one of the best young corners in the league for more than $3.5 million? If so, we'd like to sign with you. And it didn't have to be a multi-year deal. They were willing to take one-year deal. And that is a huge, huge red flag for the Patriots. Because why not try to lock him up now before he could even get better? I mean, because there's still room to grow for this guy. Now, obviously, he's hit a very high ceiling. There's also room for regression as well. But anyways, any, anywhere... J.C. Jackson would sign literally anywhere that would offer him more money than what he would have gotten with the second round tender that the Patriots offered. And come this year or the end of next year, when it's time to sign J.C. Jackson, if they don't do it and they let him walk, I will be so upset and disappointed because you can't even take care of your own players and I know this is something that Bill Belichick has done numerous times. He Once it's time to pay someone, they'll let him walk. When a player gets too old, they'll let them walk, and he'll try to fill in the gaps in between with draft picks and um, underperforming players that he hopes he can spark, like a Kyle Van Noy. 
But you go out this offseason. You go out this offseason and you signed everybody under the sun for market prices. Some players I even think got overpaid like Nelson Aguilar. But that's a conversation for another day that I'm not going to get into right now. And they can't even re-sign their own guy for more than $3.5 million when he's probably worth million, dollars Not just a multi-year deal. I'm just talking about one year. Now, I think that the 10 11 12 should be used in a multi-year deal. But, like, you can't fumble the bag on this one. Because as it states in history, in the Patriots' history, their own guys, yes, plural, their own guys are either traded or they let them walk when it's time to pay for their own homegrown players they would rather let them walk than pay them and that to me is disgusting now i understand you can't re-sign everybody i understand that but ah in a position that's so vital on defense because the league is getting better generally speaking with their wide receiver talent you look across the league and you could probably point to 35 wide receivers that are like, ooh, he is really good. He is really good. And then there's another handful of receivers that are like, ooh, you are either going to be good or you're starting to get good. And then you got that rare group of people that are like, wow, you're elite. You are elite. So the group of talented wide receivers across the NFL is getting better. It's getting bigger and it's getting stronger. The NFL needs to combat that with good defense especially at the cornerback position, which is the wide receiver's primary defender. You currently have two very, very good cornerbacks right now, and both of them may not be on the team next year, which to me I think is stupid. I think that the Patriots need to go out and re-sign J.C. Jackson, especially when they're signing everybody under the sun to market prices. I understand letting Stephon Gilmore walk. I understand that. But J.C. Jackson is someone that you cannot let walk, But hypothetically speaking, let's say that they do let both of them walk. You're going to be porked at cornerback position next year. And that's why it's vital to draft someone now. So come 15, if a Patrick Sertain or a J.C. Horn or a Caleb Farley is there and available, take them. Take them. Well, I only want you to take them if Micah Parsons isn't there. But, like, seriously. Because that position needs to be addressed in... Drafting one of those three guys is a great way to address that position. It really is, because those three got it. Now, if you look at the draft, five quarterbacks, three cornerbacks, three wide receivers, two tackles. Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, and Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State, that's 15. You should be able to get one of those 15 players. Two of them being the two offensive linemen, I don't want you to draft. So you should be able to get one of those 13 players that will help significantly bolster your team, whether it's quarterback, wide receiver, or cornerback. Don't think Kyle Pitts will fall to you, and Michael, Micah Parsons excuse me, is projected to um, land at 15. But seriously, this J.C. Jackson thing better not come to fruition in terms of letting him go. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, all right. There was my Patriots rant that was bound to happen sooner or later. I've gone on rants revolving around the Celtics plenty of times. The Sox too, which I'll get to in a minute. 
and the Bruins as well. So haven't had one about the Patriots in a hot minute, and I think it was definitely due for one, but I didn't think it was going to be about this. I honestly thought it was going to be pertaining to the draft. So cheers up to a Patriots rant. So I did mention the Bruins a little bit, and speaking of the Bruins, I do want to touch upon their game last night. And the Bruins defeated the Buffalo Sabres yet again in Buffalo, this time with a score of 5-1. to one. We saw goals from Brad Marchand, Grizzly, Pasternak, Nick Ritchie, which was his first goal in 13 games and his 300th career point in the NHL, so congratulations to him. And then we also saw David Krejci get a late goal in the third period. Again, Brad Marchand, it seems like I'm talking about him scoring a goal for the Bruins every episode, which I am digging, I am loving. And Matt Grizzick scored from the top of the zone on a goal that should have been saved by the Sabres goalie, Dustin Tukorski. Uh Tukorski just put his glove up there. Um, so Grizzick was taking a shot from just inside the blue line. And Tukorski just put his glove up there trying to catch the puck and not sliding his body over to stop the puck and like kind of swallowing the puck almost. But instead, the puck went right by him, resulting in the Bruins' second goal, and it was very, <laughs> it was very laughable. I was like, "You've got to make that stop," and that was the goal that put the Bruins up two to one. And then from there, the Bruins just ended up winning five to one. The speaking of the Bruins, oh my God, the Bruins were grabbing penalties left and right. It seemed like throughout the second period, not ideal for Swayman's growth. Plus, it puts unnecessary pressure on your defense via your special teams i believe it was five penalties for them in the second period if not five it was damn close maybe even more i lost track honestly but it was like all right slashing boarding hooking it's like guys damn stop (laughs) stop my goodness like it was still a close game it was one to one two to one it's like guys slow down slow the hell down stop penalizing them you're gonna ruin yourselves in a game that you need the points and win but Anyways, overall, Swayman, he continues to impress me and others as well as he shows great, I literally mean this, great awareness and knowledge in within the pipes. He knows where and what the opposing team will try to do with the puck. He gets to the spots within those pipes so fast, and it honestly looks really good. He's 22 years old, but he looks like he's a 32-year-old veteran. He's fast, like I said. He's got the knowledge, the awareness. And he continues to impress me and others with each and every start. I am loving what I'm seeing from Jeremy Swayman. And with Yaroslav Halak back healthy, Swayman in that mix between uh, him, Halak, and Tuka Rask as the Bruins netminders. It gives the Bruins great options night in and night out. I do want Swayman to continue to get starts even with Rask and Halak healthy. Obviously, Rask is your big paid big-time goaltender, so he's going to get starts, and I'd rather see Swayman get the backup duties or the secondary starts over Halak. Overall, though, it was a great team win as we saw excellent offensive possessions all throughout the game. The defense was not allowing much to the Sabres besides a cheeky goal that was only generated off a turnover in the Bruins' own end. Take that out of the equation. The Bruins played shutdown defense all day long. The special teams... Yeah, they had a huge game as they stepped up for us, killing five penalties, maybe six. I don't even know what the number was. But five or so penalty kill opportunities, killing all of them against the Sabres. It would have been nice and a lot better if the Bruins didn't get a million penalties in that second period. But they did survive it. And on a side note, 
something that I have to mention. If that happens against the Capitals, the Islanders, or the Penguins, they're porked. And they'd be lucky. They'd be so lucky if they only gave up one goal during those five or whatever many penalty kill opportunities. Because despite having the best penalty kill unit in the NHL, the Islanders, Capitals, and the Penguins are all electric. They're all extremely good. They have good special teams their own. And you just can't give them that many opportunities with the man advantage because it will eventually bite you in the ass. Luckily, you were playing a god-awful Buffalo Sabres team, so therefore it didn't ruin you all too, too much. But the point still stays the same. You have to be careful when you're playing good and better opponents. Speaking of the Capitals and the Islanders, the Capitals did win against the Isles. one nothing in shootout last night, so the Caps do get two points in the Isles walk away with the one pity point. Would have been nice if the game ended in regulation, so no one got a pity point. But nonetheless, it was still nice to see Bruins winning, keeping up with you know the Capitals who ended up winning, and then obviously the Islanders who did get a point, the pity point. Penguins also won beating the Rangers yesterday, so the standings are updated as follow. The Capitals with 64 points in first place. The Penguins and the Islanders tied for second with 63 points, but the tiebreaker would go to the Penguins as they have more goals for than the Isles do, and then you are sitting back in fourth place still with 60 total points. Your goals for, though, is catching up, though. You are only one goal for behind the Islanders. You have 132, and they have 133. So come tiebreaker time, you might get the edge there with them. And then, like I said, the Penguins did beat the Rangers last night, so the Rangers don't get any more points. Just spacing out your lead over um, the Rangers just a bit more. Kind of don't have to worry about them anymore i would think but you never know you would never know in this league so bruins playing their third game of the series against the buffalo sabers in buffalo tonight puck drops at seven what i'm looking for in this game is just continuing playing great defense as playing this great defense will kind of give you momentum once you get into that pittsburgh series the beginning of next week capitalizing more on opportunities in the offensive zone which has been very nice to see in these games against the Sabres I really look forward to seeing Tuka Rask play tonight just to get him another start as he comes back from injury before he heads over to Pittsburgh to play in probably one if not both of those games against the Pittsburgh Penguins I'm really looking forward to the Bruins playing great competition which is something that they need to do before they get closer and closer to the playoffs and hopefully they can win both games to get those four points and leapfrog the Penguins in the standings. Everything is going to get much, much, much more critical as we get closer and closer to the end of the regular season. Two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven games are left, including tonight's game against the Sabres. Gotta win this one. These are the points that you need to win because you don't know if you're going to get any points in that Pittsburgh series on Sunday and Tuesday. And then the last two games of the year against the Islanders and the Capitals, respectively. You just don't know if you're going to get those points. you got to beat the teams that you know and you should be able to beat if you are the Bruins. And any effort, any hope in order to get a higher seating within the division. Oh, goodness. Bruins, man. Every time I talk about them, I get a little bit more stressed out. I really do. Although I have faith and confidence in them, 
because they're playing their best hockey. It's still a little nerve-wracking, I'm not going to lie. It's still a little nerve-wracking because anything can happen. Anything can happen. I know the standings aren't as tight as they are in the Celtics Eastern Conference, but still, Bruins have the best chance to win the Stanley Cup or just the championship out of the four major sport teams right now here in Boston. So we need them to deliver because they are well due for a cup. Well, well due. However, speaking of the Celtics, let's transition over to uh, some basketball as we talk about the Celtics who did defeat the Phoenix Suns last night in Boston 99-86. We were able to see Kemba Walker drop 32 points as he was the leading scorer with Jason Tatum following up with just 15 points of his own. Romeo Langford got the start last night and he only scored two points on one for four shooting and playing in 32 minutes. Love seeing him get the opportunity to A, start and B, get those minutes. But only two points on one for four shooting. The two points is whatever. But like, you know, I'd like to see you get a little bit more than just four shots. I mean, don't want you to have 15, but maybe like eight shots, maybe. You know, it's all a big progression for him. You know, he's still trying to come back from that injury. And we just want to see him get to be himself on the court hopefully starting him kind of gives him a little momentum to do so and he was able to get that start with Jalen Brown being out of the lineup in addition Time Lord Rob Williams III and Evan Fournier were also not on the court last night as well in regards to Evan Fournier are we ever going to see him healthy on the court for us like ever I think he's played maybe two games I don't know the exact number but it seems like he is just a scratch due to injury every single night and we traded for him for a reason and we could use him I mean I know we're getting some wins here and there and we're doing pretty good without him but we traded him we traded for him for a reason and it would be nice to be able to use him one of these games right <laughs> but anyways the Celtics were able to play great defense on the Suns in the first half only holding them to 37 first half points the red-hot, scorching, hotter-than-the-sun-in-our-solar-system Phoenix Suns were just held to 37 points in the first half. Celtics scored 53 points themselves in that first half, so their offense wasn't slowed down by the Suns' good defense whatsoever. This was encouraging due to the players that didn't, didn't play for the Celtics, but playing the way they did against those red-hot, hotter-than-the-solar-system Sun Phoenix Suns team was very nice to see the band of players that we did have out there play very well. Tatum's 15 points, a little disappointing, but we, it was nice to see Kemba go out there and drop 32 points himself, so I will not complain whatsoever. And a win is a win against the Phoenix Suns, who, like I said, were the hottest team in the NBA heading into last night's game. So I am not going to sit here and complain anymore. But the Suns were able to make a game out of it late in the fourth quarter, which was a little nerve-wracking because the team, because that team is so good and they are so hot, you really couldn't count them out at any point during the game, even when you had a near 20-point lead at one point. The Phoenix Suns, they got what it takes to be a, a sincere contender in the Western Conference, being 42-17, and 17, just two games back from the Jazz. But they got what it takes. They got Devin Booker, they got DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, who they obviously brought in this year. So those guys, plus their role players, really causing some problems in the Western Conference. As Did we expect the Suns to be this good? No. 
but we did expect the Suns to be good, and they are definitely living up to their hype. And speaking of living up to the hype, the Celtics are currently not, as they sit at the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, who are a half a game back from the New York Knicks, who currently hold the four seed right now at 33 and 27, which is very curious to see as the Hawks were finally able to be jumped at the four seed as they are currently 32 and 27, the same record as you, the Boston Celtics. So everything is changing. Everything is, you know, going crazy in the Eastern Conference. And you even look down to the the 9-10 game right there between the Pacers and the Wizards. The Wizards are playing some good basketball nowadays with Russell Westbrook getting a triple-double literally every single night of the day. And the Pacers are starting to creep back into the 8th spot where they're only a game behind the Hornets who have kind of slipped a little bit. But there's still nothing to be taken out for question as the you know, 7 and 8 teams will have to play a playing game. The 9 and 10 will have to play a playing game. And then the losers of those games will play a playing game. So it's a very different style of playoffs for the NBA this year. But something that definitely causes for some intriguing excitement. So that is why it is so important that the Celtics get one of those top six seeds at minimum although I would love to see them get the four seed so they truly don't have to worry about it especially where one loss and one win from someone else could drastically change things in that tight-knit eastern conference but that is my quick little Celtics minute there Ah, big game big game for the team against the Brooklyn Nets tonight uh, at 7 30 in Brooklyn Rumored that uh, James Harden could be playing. Rumored that Kevin Durant could be playing, but we won't know until later on. Kyrie Irving is going to obviously want to stick it to you as well. Coming back on the second night of a back-to-back, no Kemba tonight. We'll have to see if Jalen Brown plays, but it's going to be a big test for the Celtics. Do they have what it takes to kind of bear down again and drag a win out of this one? Whether or not the Nets have their stars, if they don't, then the Celtics have a great chance at winning this game, even without Kemba or Jalen. But, you know, if two of their stars play for Brooklyn, probably can chalk it up as a loss, and that's going to drastically affect you within the standings in the Eastern Conference. So a lot to look forward to tonight with the Brooklyn Nets game in Brooklyn, like I mentioned, for the Celtics. Going to be a good one to talk about as we wrap around to Monday's episode next week. But before we jump ahead, we do have one more team to talk about here on Friday's episode, and that is your Boston Red Sox, who ended up losing to the Blue Jays on Wednesday night, splitting their two-game series with the Blue Jays as they lost Wednesday 6-3. The Red Sox and the Mariners played last night as the Red Sox welcome in the Seattle Ball Club as they would lose 7-3 in 10 innings at Fenway. Devers was able to smash his sixth home run of the season in the second inning. As we saw Nick Pavetta have a no-hitter through five innings, and then the Mariners got some hits and eventually tied the game in the top half of the sixth inning, which would eventually hold until later in the game, as after nine innings, the Sox and the Mariners were tied at three, with both teams scoring once more before the end of nine. Mariners in their top half of the tenth inning scored four runs, taking the lead of 7-3, which ended up being the final score, like I mentioned, as the Sox weren't able to do anything in their bottom half of the 10th inning in extra innings. As it stands right now, Red Sox are currently on a two-game losing skid as they look to rebound and get a win 
tonight against the Mariners as they play game two of four with first pitch around 7-10 tonight at Fenway Park. Sox, you know, we thought are legit. Mariners, we thought are legit. This is a good test for both ball clubs. It'd be nice to see the Red Sox back sweep them and win three in a row here before we go off to Queens to play the Mets. However, we do have a tough opponent in the Mariners tonight and for the rest of the weekend, and this is something we cannot take lightly. Sox were able to get eight hits last night. Still wasn't enough as the Mariners only got three hits all game, but still was able to score seven runs. And the Red Sox, again, another error in the field. Got to tighten up with defense there. Bullpen, I thought was good i mentioned last episode is it's something that's starting to trend upwards in terms of being able to be relied on and in terms of something to be able to use strategically matt andreese continues to impress no hits nowhere no walks in his one inning of relief matt barnes zero hit zero earn zero walks one strikeout in his one inning of relief adam Ottavino though one earned two walks in his inning of relief but then darwin's and hernandez Gave up the big blow in the top of the tenth as he got as he gave up two hits, three earned, two walks, and getting one K in the tenth inning. Like I said, three hits all night for the Mariners as Nick Pavetta and the bullpen only gave up one hit through nine innings. Then Darwin's and Hernandez gives up two hits, allowing three runs to score. Overall, I'm still impressed with the bullpen thus far. I know Adam Ottavino had a little bit of a glip. Um, Darwin's and Hernandez still kind of struggling. But generally speaking, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Matt Andreese, Matt Barnes as always, and Phillips Valdez, which I mentioned a bunch last episode as well. Overall, Sox still got three more against the Mariners. Hopefully they can, like I mentioned, start a nice little winning streak here tonight with first pitch around 7-10. But... That is going to do it for this episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I covered so much Sox, Celtics, Bruins, and Patriots all discussed in this episode. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, please, please, please join me for my live stream for the NFL Draft on Thursday at 8 p.m. where the Patriots are, as of now, expected to pick around 10.30. So if you just want to tune in for the Patriots selection... That is totally fine. If you want to tune in for your favorite team selection, that's totally fine as well. I will be looking forward to you to joining me on Thursday for the 2021 NFL Draft. And don't forget to enter my giveaway, which will be going on the live stream. All you have to do is be subscribed to the YouTube channel, Murph's Boston Sports Talk. And you need to comment something in regards to the 2021 NFL Draft to enter yourself for free into my giveaway, which is an Amazon gift card, which we all could probably use and love, right? So anyways, thank you so much for joining me for the episode 45 of Merv's Boston Sports Talk. Have a wonderful weekend. Weather's going to be nice today. It's going to be nice tomorrow, a little bit of rain on Sunday. But please have a great, fun, safe weekend, and I will see you on Monday's edition, Monday's episode of Merv's Boston Sports Talk. But until then, as always, I love you. See ya. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. 
In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.